0: Welcome to the Parent Guide to Education podcast. We are joined today by the one and only Lewis Matheson, and it's safe to say he's a legend amongst GCSE physics students. This was originally broadcast as a live Facebook event.
1: Evening, all. So we are here to talk GCSE physics. All
0: things GCSE physics.
1: Um, We might expand slightly into science as well, but if you have GCSE physics questions, or even we might throw in some cheeky A-level physics questions, we have the best person on the planet possibly to answer them. We have uh, Lewis from, uh, let me put it on the thing, GCSEphysicsonline.com, and uh, you are more likely, or your children are more likely to know him from his YouTube channel. So I'm gonna let him do the proper introduction. Lewis, hello.
2: Hello, um, well thank you so much for having me here this evening to uh, talk all things about science and physics in particular. Um, I actually used to be a head of science so I used to have to deal with biology and chemistry and often um, I had to deal with parents asking about you know what's the difference between double science and triple science and what's foundational higher and um, yeah I know there's a lot of um, questions that that parents might have because often uh, your, your, your children don't really tell you what's going on and um, and I know that as well now because uh, my daughter's in year eight about to go into year nine uh, and I know as a parent how how difficult it is to actually know what the students are actually doing in school it's a bit of a like um there's just nothing nothing comes back sometimes so yeah it's uh, it's really good to be able to to be here to talk to other parents and maybe share what I know uh, from a teacher's viewpoint about science and in particular GCSE um GCSE physics
1: awesome so I'm going to pop this up for a moment so that it reminds everyone who's just tuning in having got the little notification hopefully to pop any questions that you've got into the comments so we can answer but i think you've given us a fantastic place to start what is the difference between all the various different you know, triple science versus yeah. model awards and well so um, th-
2: the thing is that Each school often calls it something different. Now, um, it used to be called double science or triple science. um, But whatever your your children are doing, you know, 99.9% of the time, they're going to be doing some chemistry. They're going to be doing some biology and they're going to be doing some physics. Um, But what it really depends on is how much of that they do in school. So it might be that at the end of year 11, they get awarded two GCSEs or they might be doing a little bit extra, some additional content and then they get three GCSEs. So it doesn't matter if they're doing double science, they're still going to be doing some biology, some physics and chemistry. Now, again, some exam boards call it different things. Um, Most students, I think about 80% of the students in England are doing AQA sciences. And if they're doing an award that gives them two GCSEs, they call that trilogy confusingly, and oh, yeah. if they are doing three separate ones, they often call out biology, physics and chemistry, and they call those separate sciences. Um, sometimes the double award is called combined science, um, and sometimes it's just still referred to as double science. Um, and going, yeah, so it really depends on the exam board, but basically it doesn't matter if they're doing AQA, OCR or Edexcel, uh, because they all work to the same national curriculum, it's about 99% the same in terms of the content. And even if they're doing um, exams in Wales or Northern Ireland, it's still pretty much exactly the same syllabus. Some students, though, might be doing international IGCSEs. Um, often this is independent schools, but it really there, there's a few state schools doing them as well. And again, the IGCSE syllabus is pretty much the same as GCSE as well. So pretty much everybody's doing the same kind of stuff they're learning about electricity and forces and gases um, but it really depends on what your school has decided you know they think is going to work best for their students but yes whatever's happening they're going to be doing some physics some biology and some chemistry at the end of it
0: and and as a rule they do two exams in physics two in biology two in chemistry irrespective of what exam board what it's called. That's right. Yeah. Often they're Normally. catchy
2: titles like P1 and P2 for physics or B one and B two for biology. Um, and the way that the grades work is um if they're doing the separate sciences or they're, they're going to be getting three GCSEs, they'd get a grade for chemistry, a get a grade for biology, and a grade for physics. So so it's basically yeah, three grades and that grade is purely about that subject. If they're doing the combined award or trilogy or double science, then all of the marks from all three or six papers are all pulled together and then they get given two grades. So you can't tell how well they've done on individual papers necessarily. They might get um, a grade 9-9 or they might get a 3-4, or I think it's a 4-3 or a 5-5, and they just get given two grades. So really, um, grade 9 is the highest Um, and you know that goes down to different grades when they're doing double award there's like a nine nine a nine eight, eight eight, eight seven, seven seven. there's a load of different um, things that go down there so um, but ultimately what's really important is that rather than getting fixated on the grades it's just about really trying to understand and enjoy enjoy the subject you know don't worry if you know about this kind of I suppose a minute of what the grades mean ultimately if you're Um, if your child is doing their best, they're doing the homework, they're doing their classwork, that's going to give them the best chance of actually getting the the higher grades that they're they're really aiming for.
1: Mm. Yep, indeed. I think the way I tend to explain it when people have asked is uh, 7-7 is a solid 7, if you get a 7-6, it's like a 7-minus or a 6-plus. It's kind of in between. It it is, and to be honest,
2: um, it's often... You know, these grades are needed for that next step in education, if it's to get onto A levels, if it's to get into college. And to be honest, by the time the students have started year 12, they've kind of pretty much forgotten if they got a 7 7 or a 7 6 or an 8 7. Um, and, you know, it's really about how they're approaching that new course. But definitely there's that kind of threshold. Um, and especially if they're wanting to do A level sciences. Um, a lot of schools and colleges want students to be aiming for that grade seven um, to get to get the place on that course in a normal year when its its kind of normal exams are happening. Mm-hmm.
0: Talking in normal years. Uh, physics normally
2: is the yeah. last exam
0: of all the big sort of you know English, math, science, etc. Physics is always the last one in June. Any ideas why? Is it because it's the hardest? Um,
2: subject? I think. I think sometimes they try and rotate it to give them all a bit of a fair chance. Um, and I suppose there's a few arguments about is it better to do an exam early when the students are fresher, but if you're doing an early exam, maybe they're not used to being in that rhythm of doing exams and the exam nerves. Um, and yeah, I, I I think in a way, if, if it's a last exam, that's just maybe a little bit more time for revision. But I must say that that's never reflected in anything that I've seen in the data. Um, you know, students actually, and, and this is this is something that people tend to forget is that. somebody's good at biology and they're good at chemistry they tend to be quite good at physics as well and often if you look at the three grades uh, for students doing triple science you know they might get a grade eight a grade eight and a grade eight Um, and i wouldn't say there's any difference about when the exams actually sat Um, that doesn't really kind of affect any grades that students might get Um, but yeah i think it some years it does seem to be the very very last exam on the last day but i think they try and I suppose there's probably big examiner meetings and with JCQ and everybody where they're trying to kind of make it fair Um, but yeah it's just sometimes the luck of the draw when the exams are actually going to be.
1: Indeed now talking of exams how important is it to learn the formulae because oh my goodness there are a lot of the equations and things that you get given for physics. Um,
2: Yeah so this is something which is I suppose divided many teachers because ultimately, when you go on to do A-level physics, they give you all of the formula and equations that you need to know. So you get given a big data sheet, it's like four or five pages long, um, because really at A-level, the the assumption is that you probably know them anyway, but if you want to check, that's not going to really affect your deep understanding of the subject. At GCSE, um, they seem to be a bit crueller, and there's often easy formula that um, they don't let students just refer to in the exams. Now. This year, um, I think the plan was because of all of the, the missed schooling that happened and you know the fact that people are at such a disadvantage, there's gonna be a lot more flexibility for the exam boards to actually give the students all of the equations or formula that they might need. Um, I would say though, that ultimately the students who understand the, the science at the very root of it, they understand what the equations are going to mean. If you've got a student who's going into the exam and they still don't know the equation for kinetic energy, which is a half mv squared, if they still can't remember that equation, that means that they probably don't understand that topic in the first place. So ultimately, um, if if students have prepared well, they've been doing their revision, they've been understanding the content as they go through the course, the the equation sheet or the formula sheet is really only there for them to kind of double check um, actually in the exam rather than actually trying to find the right equation to use. Um, The other thing about it, I suppose, is that it's something that you know from that very first lesson in year nine, these are the equations that you're gonna have to know perhaps in two or three years time, and they can be learned just with a bit of rote learning. So this is just some knowledge, and there are various ways of doing that. It might be just having flashcards for revision. It might be um, just about maybe putting them on the side of the toilet door. So every time you're in the toilet, you're you're sitting there looking at something. Maybe rather than looking at your phone, you're just seeing this equation sheet. And that will give you the equations that you need to remember. But ultimately, um, if you're doing lots of revision and and if the students actually understand the physics, then they tend to remember most of the equations that they're going to need by the time it gets to the exam. It's just unfortunately that's the way it is, but at least it's the same for everybody. Yeah, it's yeah.
1: pretty similar for maths. Yeah. I think it's uh, it's a bit of both. It's it's just it's the more complicated mm-hmm. ones like the the quadratic formula that you have to memorise because you yeah, know, to, adult needs to be needs honest. A quadratic I, formula by heart.
2: Yeah, but but I think to be honest, though in <laughs> science the the mathematics is relatively straightforward compared to what they're probably doing in GCSE yeah. maths. So mm-hmm. in GCSE maths, they might be you know, uh, perhaps using CVAT equations or looking at some trigonometry and some complicated algebra. Whereas actually the mathematics in physics, although there is maths that they need to know about, often it's just simply adding numbers together, multiplying numbers together. Um, And actually I'd say compared to what they're doing in the maths classroom, the maths for Mm -hmm. physics is relatively straightforward.
0: I think one of the reasons we asked that is that uh, with our twins who are now 19, yeah. when, we, uh, when they were doing GCSEs, the trip to the school commute was basically, a lot of the time was just uh, re- recounting what some of the physics equations were because the teacher said, you've got to get these in your head. If you get yeah. them in your head, things will be easier in the exam. I, I, I understand what you're saying about understanding what it means as well. You yeah. can't trip it off the tongue and you've got to know how to apply yeah. the numbers into the equation, etc. But But um, yeah, they I, were I, very, very big on that.
2: Yeah and, and I think you know this is the thing where there's this there's this kind of divide and there's sort of different um, assessment objectives and all of that kind of teacher speak but effectively there's things that people have to know which are just kind of cold hard facts and there's also the application which comes with a deeper understanding and, and I think sometimes I, and I've And I've thought about it myself when I've had parents meetings and the parents are saying, well, they've read the revision guide and they know all of this stuff, but they're still only getting 60 percent on the tests. And it's it's not enough just to know a load of facts. I mean, if all you had to do was know facts, then I think that that would only get you a maximum of about 40 percent on the exam. A lot of the exam skills that are developed later on, sometimes it's a bit about common sense. Sometimes it's about, you know, reading the question and trying to understand what it's asking you about. And it's often, and this is, you know, cause there has to be some hard questions to tell who's getting the grade nine and who's getting the grade eight. There have to be difficult questions to really sort the top end out. But sometimes they're just questions with different scenarios, but based on the knowledge that everybody has. And um, I think this is sometimes where the more practice people have at doing questions, the better they tend to do in any exams that come up. So it's not just about the knowledge, it's about applying that knowledge. But that still means they have to know some facts. They have to know the equation for um, kinetic energy. They have to be able to remember the uh, units that we measure momentum in. And these are things that they will be doing in class. But the more time that, you know, that that children can spend, maybe sitting down, um, even if it's just a five minute, just kind of refreshing their knowledge, if they can do that regularly, you know, from the start of year nine or the start of year 10, or even from today, that's only going to help them. Um, be able to recall that information when, when the time comes.
1: Yep. And, going back, and to the, yeah,
2: going back to the cue cards, mm-hmm. the post-it notes, stuff yep. on the fridge.
1: Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and
2: also they can learn some of this stuff before mm-hmm. they cover it in school. Yep. I mean, it's, you know, I know that young children can remember so many different computer game characters or things that they see on the TV. Um, and it's the same with equations. You could probably learn all of the equations as soon as you start going into year nine or year 10. Even if you don't know what they mean, when they do come up in the lesson, you can be like, oh, yeah, momentum equals mass times velocity. I've seen that on the equation sheets. I've learned it. Even if they don't know what momentum really is, even if they don't appreciate why it's a vector quantity, they can still learn some of these um, key equations before it comes up um, in the lessons which they cover at school.
1: Definitely, yeah. And, uh, you know, the, I think the, the bigger problem, also, it, and it applies in math as well, is, yeah. is the, the interpretation is the figuring out what the question is asking you yeah and I uh, have said this many times to our audience rtfq it's what I used to write on the top of the board so yep. read the full question <laughs> used to assume it was something else but read the full question
2: yep. and yep. and it, <clears throat> So yeah, many I,
1: of them just don't the thing is
2: I, I know how difficult it is because I've done the same thing. I, I've been, you know, working through quite a lot of past exam paper questions recently for these live streams I've been doing every Monday, and I'll always work through in advance. So I know that um, you know this is how I'd approach the question. And I've made mistakes, and I think, why have I done that? And you know, I'm a physics teacher and I've made simple mistakes. It's not that I don't understand the physics, it's not that I don't know what I'm talking about. I think I do most of the time, but it's the fact <laughs> that I just read something wrong and it's a word here or it's just a, a unit conversion. And um, yeah, it's a skill that develops over time. And yeah, the more practice you do, the less likely you are to make mistakes because when you've made that mistake, you learn from it and think, okay, that, when I got that a similar question incorrect before, this is why I made that mistake. Um, and it could be simple as, you know, in the actual exam, you know, you can use a highlighter in the exam because although... The exam papers, um, the actual real exam papers, they're basically scanned in um, and any, any kind of writing in a black pen can easily be scanned in. But if you are to write your answers in a highlighter, there's no guarantee that that would be picked up by the scanning software. But there's nothing wrong with putting a highlighter um, over the paper for yourself. So if you wanted to highlight key numbers or you could underline it in a pencil or in the pen, you know, that paper is there for the students to write down on. And really, it doesn't matter how they do their working out, as long as there's a clear logical approach to the final answer, and then the final answer is very clear. It doesn't matter if students are circling things, or crossing things out, or highlighting, um, and if that's something that they find useful when they're actually coming to approach the question, then you know that probably gets them into good habits.
1: Indeed. So past papers, quite important.
2: Um, yeah, definitely. I, I think I think past papers. Um, there's, there's, I suppose, there's two things that people don't tend to do. Um, sometimes people kind of just look at maybe the AQA paper from 2018 because that might be the exam board that that student is actually studying and it's a recent past paper. So it seems like, you know, that's a good thing to do. But there's only a couple of past papers actually available um, for the current specification for the current exam board. Um, the things that students tend not to do include actually looking at the examiners reports which are big boring documents written for teachers and especially examiners but sometimes if a student was to read that they'd realize that oh yeah they maybe got 60% of the questions correct on that paper but actually that's what other students were getting as well and mistakes that they made are kind of common mistakes so I think sometimes it almost you almost feel a bit better thinking I couldn't get part C, but actually only a very small minority of students actually got that answer in the first place. So sometimes it makes students really understand um, some of the common errors and, you know, maybe it makes them feel a little bit better about themselves. Um, The other thing that I think is a massively underused resource are other exam papers from other exam boards. So if you're doing AQA, you could also have a go at OCR A and OCR B and Edexcel and seer and WJC and CIE and also Edexcel International exam boards. And also then you've got previous old specifications which go back in time, you know, back to 2010. I think pretty much you could probably do one exam paper a day for the next year just on GCSE physics if you wanted to spend the time. I mean, if you had nothing else to do, then you can <laughs> do that. And um, I'd say that when you know what the exam board specification is, has actually specified you might be assessed on, you'll realise that actually there's a question about maybe transformers, but you don't need to know about that for your exam board. And if you know the specification, that means the students can then identify questions which are maybe aren't relevant for them to have a go at.
1: And it's, it's, it is
2: difficult, and obviously guidance from teachers is really important, but a lot of exam questions, they're just good physics questions. And the more that people do them, the more they get used to the the language, the style of assessment. I mean, you know, there might be a subject about identifying the forces on a car. There's only so many possible combinations of forces acting in different directions. You know, there's, and it's something which is going to be assessed and asked about every year sort of going forward. There's only so many possible combinations of simple, easy questions that can be asked about that. So the more exposure somebody has to pass papers, the higher the chance that a similar question will come up in the exam in the future.
0: Mm. I mean, it, it is almost like we've fed you these questions, but I promise you we haven't because <laughs> uh, that's something we talk about a lot is that yeah. uh, particularly with science, the crossover between the various um yeah. examples mm. and specifications, they're more or less...
2: Yeah, perfect. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's very difficult. If, if you've got history and you've got different time periods, you're going to have completely different questions. But with physics, I mean, even though we're doing... um I suppose it's not a new specification anymore. It's not drastically different to older specifications because the you know the physics has stayed the same. I mean, there are some minor differences. Um, one thing is the way that energy is taught now. So an older paper might talk about different types of energy, but now we talk about different stores of energy and energy transfers. But to be honest, that's maybe one or two marks out of a hundred marks on the exam paper. So, um, and again, if students aren't sure about it, they can just leave it. And also, and I know this is quite difficult to do sometimes for young people, is if they have a question and they can approach their teachers, then if the teacher's seen that the student's already put in a bit of effort into that question, they've maybe um, warned the teacher in advance, it's much more likely they're going to get some support from that teacher. Um, As a teacher, we often did revision sessions and the kids would come in and say, I don't understand electricity. And it's like, well, which bit don't you understand? Because it's a massive topic. But if they came in saying that I've tried this question and here's my working out and I can't quite get answer B, then it's a very easy thing for a teacher to sit down with the question with them to kind of look through what the student's done and then just make the, made these small, you know, just little bits of help. And it might only be a couple of minutes of help, but that can really help that student. And again, if, you're, if your children are doing past papers, um, especially if they're doing it throughout the year, and they can, and I, th- I think nowadays as well with the, uh, the online learning and the kind of communication that's happened it doesn't necessarily mean that the student actually has to physically find the teacher in school they could maybe drop them a message on google classroom or um, whatever kind of system that school might be using and then that allows the teacher to be able to respond either by email or find a suitable time to meet the student.
1: Yeah, I think that's really helping a lot of uh, what well, the introverted students who don't yeah. want to put up their hands in class, and and maybe the the kind of you know the the popular kids that don't want to be seen to be being swatty,
2: which
1: yeah. is a very old-fashioned word. There must be. <laughs> what, what's, I don't even I know, know what swat- the slang swat- is for swat- that right now. now. I've lost yeah. track. But yeah, yeah I think
2: yeah, Possibly. I mean, yeah. I mean, for me personally, I when I was at school, I didn't want to put my hand up and you know make a big scene. But if it was sometimes that, you know, maybe a minute at the end of the lesson, or I guess, you know, if I could have emailed them and they could have said it's this. Uh, I mean, I I know that's kind of adding to teacher workload, but sometimes they're the kind of really they're the nice conversations that teachers really like having because it's about their subject. It's Mm. not about an incident that happened at break time or some reports or some just kind of new initiative that the school's introducing. It's actually about the kind of physics that they really enjoy teaching. And um, again, some schools might have drop in sessions uh, before school or after school or at lunchtimes. And even if that's not with the usual class teacher, for example, there might be a GCSE revision session for all the classes at the same time. Again, if students go along to that, rather than just saying, I don't understand uh, energy, I don't understand physics. If they have a specific question, it's a lot easier for them to get the help they need in that time
0: and it's that okay. reinforces what yes. we say about past papers and it's not necessarily about the the questions you get correct fantastic yeah. well done it's yeah. about the ones that you for whatever reason because you haven't read the question properly or yeah. because you just applied your your knowledge wrong that's the 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 gold dust yeah. about how you're going to learn because you you know you've made the mistake and it's probably quite easy to rectify
2: yeah and with, and i must say uh, with with students doing past papers and i, th- I think um Although, you know, we talk about equations and the maths involved, I think generally students quite like the mathematical equations because you've got a number and you've got a definite. I've answered the question. I've given the number and the units. And I think it's it's the ones that students tend to find more difficult are the wordy answers. You know, the six mark, um, you know, can you describe an experiment that would help you work out this or, you know, compare these two sorts of renewable fuels? And I think that um, often in physics, what students really find more difficult are the longer written answers. Um, and I suppose my, you know, my top tip for that really um, is, if you write in bullet points, that's often going to make it a lot clearer to whoever's marking the exam that you've addressed all the points. And as long as it's done in a logical order, with you know capital letters, the key scientific words word spelt correctly, it doesn't have to be written as a massive paragraph of solid text. I think um, bullet points are really, really useful for students as well as for anybody marking their work.
1: Hmm. that's a very good shout yeah
0: i I mean we do talk about how with the long answer questions the person marking it the given seconds to come up with a grade for that particular answer they needed to be really really clear um, and concise so underlining the key elements uh, as you say is is vital to keep the person marking it the maximum sort of attention to the answer in the little time they have to do it so
1: You kind of got to imagine and and you often the one. people
2: who are marking physics papers are physics teachers who don't like writing; they like maths, which is why they tend to do maths and physics at A level and then uh, those kind of subjects at universities. Because personally, I quite like numbers, but you know, a massive chunk of text or an essay just fills me with dread if I have to mark it. So yeah,
1: you should have taught maths it's it's problems well aren't. maybe maybe but <laughs> physics
2: is a lot a lot more fun there's more things that go bang so yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: i can't even imagine being a history teacher the the 15 pages of yeah trying to yeah no no I,
2: I mean you know that's me personally and i um i helped out with the epq um qualification at a level uh, in my last school i was i had a group that i took through the process and at the end of it i had to mark their work which was absolutely incredible and it was fascinating but when there are thousands of, uh, you know, there's a high word count and there's some amazing projects. It was about literature and Russian literature. And, and I found that a real struggle to actually, you know, look through that and actually not just read it, but actually mark it and make sure I gave due credit for all the great work that, that went on. But yeah, EPQs are something that um, may be worth looking into um, if, you're, if your children are going into A-level. Definitely. Yeah, something yes. we talk about a
0: lot. It's yes. something that I used to teach and, uh, okay, or um, supervise rather than teach. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's, it's fabulous for those going into year 12 next year. It's well worth
1: considering. Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely. Now, going back to the whole, um, you know, sudden boom in online learning and uh, being able to do things just differently, I think yeah. it's probably been a bit of a silver lining of all that has happened in the last year or so that there is now. There are so many great resources out there for students who want to do a bit more independent learning, or they want to revise something that they perhaps didn't quite get in class. And I know you can recommend an excellent YouTube channel. But,
2: <laughs> but science, sure, but yeah, people like free science lessons aren't here tonight, so it's me instead. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, um, but are there any other kind of apps are there particular sites that are useful feel free to plug your own I will pop it up on the board again look
2: Um, okay so I I suppose I've always been interested in this and and I when I was teaching um, I would use things like the Khan Academy um, Mm. because I you know when I first found this I was like this is absolutely amazing Um, and I suppose you know there has been a boom but I'm I, I still think we're really in the infancy And I think you've got big kind of um, tech companies who don't understand about teaching and also you've got teachers who are busy teaching and therefore it's very hard for them to spend the time creating resources to to the full extent. So I think it's still really early days. And what I would say is that the things that students tend to really like are when there's somebody else who's a bit like one of their other teachers. So it might be that they build that bond with primrose kitten or free science lessons and sean donnelly or whoever it might be they tend to build good relationships like a virtual relationship because they know that person is there and they're they're treating them like a teacher and they can see that they're honest genuine people it's not some big tech who's pumping millions of pounds because they they want to make a profit at the end of it um but i would say that i think in the last year or so it hasn't really been a wake up call for the students, but I think it's more been a, a wake up call for some of the teachers and the departments about what's actually out there and how it can be used to its sort of full potential. Um, I would say that uh, I've got videos and I've got over a thousand videos on YouTube now that I've made. Um, and I started doing this because when I was teaching A-level physics, although I could find really good videos from the Khan Academy, they didn't quite cover all of the bits that I had to cover in lesson. And sometimes they, they were taught in a different way because they were using maybe American terminology, they were using different vector notation. And although it was similar to what I needed, there wasn't anything I could find at the time that taught everything that I wanted my students to learn. And that's why I started making A-level videos. And then when I was a head of science, I could see that demand for A-level videos was just getting bigger and bigger. And I didn't have the time to actually make the videos to keep supporting and actually get to where I wanted to be. So... I basically took a 50 grand pay cut. Um, I didn't really look into the finances too carefully. Um, And then I started making videos for GCSE, which I thought will only take a year to do, then it'll be able to monetize it. Um, And it took at least a couple of years to make them. And and it's all, everything takes longer than you think it's going to take. Um, But what I've been doing is trying to cover every possible aspect of the GCSE physics course for every exam board, for foundation and for higher for the trilogy, for the separate science, and I've worked examples. And now I've, I've got all of that over at GCSEphysicsonline.com. Um, and really what I want to do is allow any student anywhere in the world, access to a good quality of physics education, um, that even if they're in full-time education and they're in a normal school environment, it's still good to have another viewpoint that a student can access at any point they need to. And it's not to replace teaching because you do need to have face-to-face contact and one-to-one support but it's more to help teachers in the delivery of often what's quite a difficult subject mm-hmm. and also a lot of people teaching GCSE physics aren't actually physics teachers mm-hmm. they might be biologists or chemists and um, actually there's PE teachers and drama teachers and all sorts I, saw, I met um, a lady recently who was um, the deputy head and she was an economics teacher and she was now teaching physics because there's a real shortage of physics teachers. And just like I wouldn't be that confident teaching biology at GCSE, although I'm qualified to do so, Mm. um, I thought I'd make a resource so that the teachers had something that they could use to to help with their lessons as well. So yeah, that's me doing a blatant plug of GCSE physics online. Um, But there are loads of other things out there. One thing which I I have to talk about is Isaac Physics. Now, this is um, part of a project that initially started Um, at the University of Cambridge, it was uh, supported by government money from the Department for Education. And initially, uh, they had a massive book and a a website, which is full of questions for A level. And then they've extended that with a few um, A level chemistry questions, and also loads of things for GCSE physics. Now, the good thing about this is that it saves the progress of any questions which have been answered. Um, It's all self-marking. So if a student does this, they can buy the book. I think the books are one pound because they're subsidized or you can access a digital version for free online. It's all free to do. Um, So the good thing is if a student was to sit down and work through this, I reckon they'd probably get a grade eight or a grade nine at the end of GCSE. The difficult thing is, is that it starts at quite a high level so if you're a normal student, these, when you start doing them are quite difficult. And when I use this with my class in school, I had second set um, in year 10 and I had them from year 10 into year 11. So this was set two um, and I gave them all this book and I thought they'll they'll just do it themselves. And they found it really difficult initially to get started, but the ones who persevered and kept doing it and kept on having a go, they're the ones who did really well. And actually, um, when we did IGCSE, um, out of 24 people in the class, I think 21 of them got an A-star and that was second set. Um, And it's because they were motivated students, but also they were like forced to do this every week for a year. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I'd say that this is difficult, but again, on my website, I've got links to the the boards and the questions they could do. Um, I mean, there's loads of good stuff out there, um, but I would say that... um, yeah, I think it's really down to what the student likes to to use. I mean, things like Seneca are really good. Um, there's a few other platforms. Uh, I mean, I've you know BBC Bite Size is an easy one to go to, and it's quite well known. But but again, I think a lot of these courses don't always match exactly what the exam board might be asking about. So BBC byte Size is general GCSE physics, but not necessarily everything that you need for AQA. But um, I use Seneca with my students, and they really like that as well. Hmm.
1: I'm just trying to make sure we've we've flashed up on the screen anything that is slightly unusual when you hear it. And you're thinking, how do you spell that? So yeah. uh, we'll try and make sure we put it in the show notes if you're listening to this on the podcast as well, because you know, the screen won't do you any good on a podcast. I've learned. Yeah, it.
2: I mean, th- there's <laughs> lots of great things out there, but ultimately, what it often takes is that student having that kind of intrinsic motivation
0: mm-hmm. that
2: they access things and they they use that material when they're when they don't have to. So although they might have a homework where they have to do a Seneca task, are they actually spending, you know, maybe they do it in five minutes. Are they spending another 10, 15 minutes having a look at other topics? Are they revising other bits of the course that they might not have covered since year nine, you know, because they want to learn. And I think actually um, when when I look at A-level students and I've had quite a lot of success with my A-level videos is because ultimately it's like a self-selecting crowd. The people who choose to do A-level physics have that, you know, they they of all of all the subjects at school, it's one of their top three subjects. Whereas it is a lot more difficult at GCSE, where students might be studying GCSE science, but they don't necessarily want to take it at the next stage. So that's maybe not where their passion is lying. But the more, sometimes the more they do, the more they understand it, the easier it becomes, and therefore the more enjoyable because they realise they're actually making small games every day or every week. Um, and sometimes it's just that perseverance to just keep at it. Um, you know especially because the student wants to not because they're being told that they have to hmm.
1: definitely now i know oh. i keep getting asked about bridging the gap between yep. GCSE and a level for for maths because obviously they've got a really long summer a lot of them coming up and and they've had a lot of interruption to their schooling over the last year and a half so jumping into a level feels a little bit scarier than it normally does because it's normally quite a big step <laughs> it's a yeah. big step now so um are those books things that you would you would recommend the uh, um, physics physics?
2: yeah I, I would say that starting a level physics is really difficult for most students just like starting any subject at a level is really difficult and I wouldn't say that physics is any harder than the others even the things that students might think oh it's only a level biology it's easy actually everything just gets this massive like um everything that steps up and you know once they're at the end of year 13 it all feels straightforward because they're used to working independently they can manage their time but yeah definitely that the start of year 12 is really difficult but the thing is there are no hidden surprises there's nothing which is kept secret and will only be talked about in September Um, you know if if your children are knowing that they're going to be doing A-level physics and they've put it down as one of their their choices, then there's no reason why they can't find out about which course they might be starting. Are they doing AQA or Edexcel or OCR? And if they know the course they're going to be doing, then they can go to the website, they can download the specification and just have a bit of a a flick through to see some of the subjects which are coming up. Um, The other thing that they can look at is, again, I know it says GCSE, but to be honest, a lot of the questions on this, they are slightly above a GCSE level and if a student was to keep working through this book then there might be topics that they haven't covered at GCSE but might be coming up at A level in, in in a few months time and I think if they were to try and complete this book over the summer or at least have a go at it they'd see the level of maths that they need now if they do complete that they can always have a go at some of the A level questions But i wouldn't say that this is necessary because that's what they're going to be doing as they go into year 12. Um, something i would recommend and actually this was written by um, another physics youtuber called guerrilla physics Um, we've actually never met in person even though
1: i taught him when he was in year eight and i was in year 12 and i was his teaching assistant sort of unofficially. No way. Yes way. Wow. I've known Kit since he was yay high.
2: Okay so um, so Little Kit has actually written the book Um, mm-hmm. and you can I think there's I think there are you can get like a Kindle version of this. I bought the hard copy because sometimes I just physically like having a book. Now this book here is called Prepare for the Challenge of A-Level Physics. He's not paid me to do this it isn't a promotional thing it's just because <laughs> I think this is really useful and personally I cannot be bothered to actually write a book because it seems like an incredible amount of work. Um, but this does talk about, um, you know, it talks about what A-level physics is about. It talks about the subjects. There's some, um, you know, questions that students can ever go at. There's some practical work. So this one over here, uh, prepare for the challenge of A-level physics. I think, you know, was it? I don't know. Is it 4 or five ninety nine? Whatever it is, it's not much money. And if, you're only doing three or four A-levels and it's worth spending five pounds now to actually see what it's all about. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing that I've actually been doing yesterday and today, um, I'm about to launch next week is a series of videos for students who are maybe going from year 11 into year 12 or even that students can watch when they're in year 12 or going from year 12 to year 13, where I've just done a very brief introduction of each A-level topic. So I can say that, you know, this is what you know from GCSE. So I, I did want, well, you know, the introduction to maths for A-level physics, and I can say, look, you have done trigonometry, you've done Pythagoras, you know about standard form. Here's just a brief reminder. And also on the website, um, I've also put in links to all of the GCSE videos. So it might be that um, maybe in November next year, um, your your child maybe starts to learn about a new topic, perhaps um I don't know, maybe electricity, but they haven't actually done any electricity since year 10 in school. They could, at the very least, revise the content that they should know for GCSE but might have forgotten. And they can see how that's extended with the maths and kind of the new subjects that come up. So I've got about um, 18 or 16 videos, um, and I'll be putting those up on alevelphysicsonline.com, which is my A-Level website. I'll link to it from my GCSE website, and I'll put it up on Physics Online on my YouTube channel as well. But basically, uh, I I spent the day, you know, playing with Lego and um, looking at my models of the atom and the nucleus to to basically try and explain and remind the students of what they've already done at GCSE as they go on to that A-Level course.
0: I mean, I think when they have done their GCSEs this year, or whatever it has turned out to be, yeah. then they got this long summer. I think it's probably quite a hard sell to the students saying, "Look, if you're going to do a A-level, you should be doing something over the summer. This is going to really help you." Oh yeah, true, it will. It's just going to save them yeah. so much pain come September if they have that foundation knowledge about oh, what the course and, is. About.
2: And we're not talking about working every day for the next twelve or. <laughs> 30 I don't know how many weeks it is I mean what you've got um July June July August you know there's like over a quarter of a year they don't have to be doing it all the time but ultimately if they've chosen to be doing A-level physics they've got an interest in it then actually it kind of exposes them to some of the more interesting subjects and they don't just have to be sitting there doing question after question they can just be reading textbooks and there's some you know even kind of old textbooks about a level physics that you can find on amazon for a couple of pounds you know even if a student just reads absent-mindedly they might not understand much of it but it might just mean that when they go into the lesson they go oh yeah i've I've read something about this and and there's other really good youtube videos as well um from some of i suppose more popular sciencey channels like veritasium uh v source minute physics you know this is stuff that um isn't always even taught at A level. This is where it gets weird with like quantum string theory and uh, quantum tunneling and you know stuff about about the universe. There's stuff that is in the popular, I guess, popular science that just, you know, students like physics, they might want to look at stuff like that. But yeah, the more they can do and still have plenty of time in the summer to relax, um, the better they're gonna find that transition into year 12.
0: Little and often, yeah. as we keep saying.
1: It's Definitely. going to make a huge
0: difference. So. Yeah,
1: and and but, keeping the interest alive, as you said, it's the the things that spark that interest. Mm. I, I watched a YouTube video the other day that um, the oh, Stand Up Maths has done on okay. the maths of Double, which is a game that we quite like to play as a family, a little card game thing. Yeah, and there's some really cool maths behind it. And I'm not going to pretend I understood it all. <laughs> it's been a while since my degree, but still found it really interesting. And mm-hmm. then Wanted to go and try and tell other people about it. Yeah, nobody wanted to listen. But hey, it was worth a try. And uh, it—it's just—it's those little bits that make you go, "Wow!" Absolutely and keep you interested in the subject. So yeah, yeah.
2: And, and I think as well, the other thing is that you know, ultimately, when when people go on to do A level physics, everybody in the A level class will have done well at GCSE. So they're the ones who understand it just easily and say, "Oh, it's easy. I've, I've got a grade eight without much effort." But as soon as you go to the A-level class, everybody there has got a grade 7, 8, and 9. And yet, even though they've been used to being maybe near the top of the class, suddenly when they do assessments, they might be getting E's and D's. Because, you know, that spread of A-star down to E at A-level, that's really based on the top few people who've done it at GCSE. And so I think people often, especially when we had um, letters, for the grades for GCSE, you'd have a great kids who got an A at GCSE would suddenly be getting Ds at A level and they couldn't understand why, they just assumed they'd be getting the A. And it's because it, there's a leap up in terms of the amount of work and how difficult it can become. So yeah, the more they can do at the start, the, they're not going to fall behind and then trying to be catching up with all of their subjects as they go into year 12. But ultimately, um, for all students, they're going to address it in their own way and it's a bit of a learning journey and some of them will just get on with it and others will... Have a massive panic when they do their their first assessment and realize that actually they do have to put the work in to, to really kind of get the top grades.
0: Hmm. Um some, some students or some schools sorry, will allow students to do A-level physics with a grade six at GCSE.
2: Yeah, and I think I think I think recently there's been more of a reason for that is because of the center assessed grades or the teacher assessed grades might be based on other factors. Um and I've had students who who maybe didn't do so well at GCSE, but ultimately. Some of them worked really hard and then they passed A-level. I've also had students who got A-stars and then they've just thought they know it all and they they do really badly at the end of A-level. So um, just because they did well at GCSE doesn't guarantee them anything. And just because they maybe didn't get the grades they thought they would have done, it doesn't mean they kind of don't have a bit of a later start. And I I must say the other thing is that um, it doesn't really matter if they've done the double award or the triple award at GCSE. Because by the time you get to a level, you pretty much get taught everything from from scratch anyway. Um, And although it is a massive advantage if you've been doing the triple award, because you'll have seen more of that content beforehand. If you did the double award and you've got a good grade, you know, if you've got a grade seven or seven, seven in the double award, then you'll be at the same level as somebody who got a grade seven in the physics only. So just because they got, did a double award doesn't stop them doing well at A-level. And some schools only offer the double award in the first place anyway. And yeah. those students are gonna be absolutely fine um, when they go into that, that that later stage of study.
1: Amazing. So I think we've kind of covered the whole spectrum now from starting GCSE physics all the way through to bridging it into A-level physics and things. So yeah. um, I think probably the final question is, If parents want to be able to uh, point their children in the direction of useful resources and such like, where can they find you and Uh, where should they start?
2: I think if you Google GCSE Physics, I think my website's fairly high up. But um, if you go to GCSE Physics online, um, you'll see that probably 50 or 60% is completely free to view. So you can download worksheets, do questions, find Isaac Physics boards, and probably about 250 free videos that I've made. Um, and then if you want full access to everything um, in order for actually to me, allow me to kind of keep doing this now that I'm self-employed, um, then there's a subscription, which is £9.99, and that lasts for three years. So if you wanted access, you could buy it today and um, that would last until whenever the exams might be in the future. So that's three years access, just a single fee. Um, And I do something similar for A-level where it's £19.99 for the A-level material. Um, What lots of schools are actually doing is that a school subscribes now, so rather than individual students having to pay, it comes out of the science budget. So um, a load of them have actually taken me up on that offer and I've got various discounts. I do like a either a 50 or a 75% discount for schools with a high number of free, free school meal pupils, so that really those students who are most in need of help, who often don't have access to a, a qualified physics teacher in their, in their lessons, you know they're getting it for 75 percent off um so if you're if you want to maybe look at that just um you know bug your 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 children's teachers about getting a school subscription uh, but i've tried to make it affordable so that anybody can access it i'm not charging hundreds of pounds a year for you know premium access it's very much a one-off payment it's less than 10 pounds and um that gives you access to hundreds and hundreds more videos
1: amazing Fabulous. Thank you yeah. so so much for taking the time to uh, to talk to us and to answer lots of questions. I think that's been a pretty comprehensive run through the whole of GCSE through through level. So thank
2: well, you. I, I do like talking about physics. And, and again, if um, if anybody has any questions for me personally, they can obviously um, contact me through various social media things. I'm on Twitter quite a bit um, as a teacher. You can find all the information on my YouTube channel. Um, but I would say if you've got any questions for me, just email me at hello at physicsonline.com i tend to check my phone last thing at night and first thing in the morning so that's what happens when you've got your own business
1: <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> pretty much i've been very good and i've turned my phone over so i don't see all the things pinging while i'm talking to you but yes I know we, we do mean.
2: actually have a question here do we to answer that
1: oh, we do. oh yeah
2: um okay so this question really is about ib or a level um about what's better i've actually when I started teaching, um, I taught OCR A level, and I also had an international baccalaureate class doing physics. And actually the content was pretty similar. Um, and I'd say that, and actually I, I met some of the students in the pub a few years ago. They were all like massive, much taller than I am now. And <laughs> I remember teaching them when they were just you know, 17, 18. Um, but a lot of the IB students went on to study engineering at university and it set them up really well. But likewise, the A level set them up really well as as well. So I think if you're going to do sciences or engineering at university, they're both good routes. But I would say with IB, it's a bit more of a broader curriculum personally, because they have to do more of an essay. I think they can't specialise as much. Um, And I think it really depends on what the students are wanting to do. If they're dead set on doing sciences at university and they can do biology, chemistry and physics at A level, that's not gonna disadvantage them at all. But I guess if they if they know what they want to do and they can choose the right IB options, that's not going to disadvantage them either. So I think it really comes down to looking at, at what the school actually offers in terms of the support and and so on. Fabulous.
1: Thank you very much. Right, both both great
2: on. options. Both really academically challenging, mm-hmm. and um, both of them will really set up students to do really well at A level at uh, beyond you know any education beyond uh, beyond A level. Well, thank was, you very much. I no think
0: problem. unless there are any more questions that are fired in very quickly, that's um, thank you so much yeah. for your time this evening.
1: Very, very much appreciated.
0: Thank you. And,
1: and uh, we will be back and talk to you all about whatever mm. we're talking to you about next mm. soon, I'm sure.
2: Very happy <laughs> to come back again. Thank you. Thanks
0: for listening to the Parent Guide to Education podcast. Please favourite or follow us on your preferred podcast app to ensure you get notified as each episode is released. We'd also be grateful if you could leave us a great review or rating. See you on the next episode.